Hey, this is Chris McLernan from Many Things, but most recently Canel, and you are listening to Thunder Underground. Welcome to episode 381 of the Thunder Underground podcast. Trent here as always, and this week's a really cool one because Chris McLernan of Canel, Saigon Kick, Cold Sweat, and many other projects is here to talk about all those things. We've got a great chat with Chris coming up that's about 40, 45 minutes long. Talking about his brand new band, Canel, some tag on kick, all kinds of great stuff in there. But first, before we get into that, I need to let you know who we're sponsored by, and that would be Sunset Tattoo, a tattoo shop located in Midtown Tulsa. Their tattoos are done good and proper, they're state licensed, and they are mother approved. Well over 25 years of experience from Jake Thompson and his crew over there. If you call, text, email, somehow get in touch with them. You can set up a time to talk about what work you need to have done. You can hit up the socials, Facebook, and Instagram are both Sunset Tattoo Tulsa. There's tons of photos on there that shows that they are excellent at all different styles. Like I've said many times, I've had work done by Jake at Sunset Tattoo that I'm very happy with. I intend to have more done here in the future. I know many others that have as well that are happy, and I'm sure you will be happy too. So hit up Sunset Tattoo. Tell them you heard about them on Thunder Underground. We've also got DEB Concerts, a concert promoter based right here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. They bring tons of great acts to the Tulsa area. They've been booking shows at the old Ideal Ballroom. Now they've been booking shows at the BOK Center. They brought in stuff like at the BOK Center on the arena level, like Snoop Dogg, Ice Cube, Megadeth, Lame of God, Poison, Tom Kiefer. They brought in stuff to the club level here in Tulsa, like Saxon, Last in Line. Buck Cherry, Bisto Blanco, Winger, Warrant, Great White, Lita Ford, so on and so forth. And they every year book their Roadhouse stage at Rocklahoma as well. This year is no different, of course. Rocklahoma, my friends, is just about five weeks away now. Coming up on it, Labor Day weekend in Pryor, Oklahoma. The headliners of the Roadhouse stage the DB Concerts puts on will feature the Thursday night pre-party, Warrant and LA Guns, as well as a few other acts. And then the other three nights will feature Buck Cherry, Kicks, and Skid Row, all on the Roadhouse stage. Massive tent, tons of vendors. Get your food, drinks, and hang out and watch some great rock and roll. Speaking of great rock and roll, Kicks, like I said, will be one of those headliners, and this will be one of their final performances ever. They recently announced that they are retiring, and their final show is going to be, I keep saying, sometime. I haven't looked up the date. One of the, you know, maybe on the next episode when I say this, I'm going to look up the date. But I believe it's in October in the Baltimore area where they're from. So do not miss your, one of your last chances to see Kicks. They're one of the best live bands you can see over the past few, several decades. In fact, their performance at Rocklahoma in 2008 is my favorite performance of all 15 years of Rocklahoma. Hands down. I'm going to talk about that more, I think, on the Rocklahoma preview episode that'll be coming up here in a few weeks. So, anyway, DEB Concerts, DEBConcerts.com. Find ticket info there if you're going to Rocklahoma. Of course, hit up Rocklahoma.com. Follow DEB Concerts on the socials, Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, all DEB Concerts, and tell them you heard about them right here on Thunder Underground. Chris McLernan. This man has been doing it for quite a long time, and we talk about a lot of that stuff in this interview. 
the main thing we jump into is his new band, Canel, which is touted as a, not a tribute to Thin Lizzy, but basically like it's Thin Lizzy inspired, I believe is the way it was worded in their press release. And we kind of talk about that here as well, where that was, you know, a lot of band, I mean, you hear some bands and you think, well, they kind of, they're obviously influenced by whoever. You hear it, but they don't really talk about it. But with this band, they're talking about the fact that that's what they set out to do. They set out to make a band that was inspired in the style of Thin Lizzy, but not be a carbon copy, not be a clone. Still have its own uniqueness to it as well. You definitely hear that whenever you hear the vocals. Chris is singing on this as well. And he does, he plays bass and guitars on this as well. They brought in, I believe that's four different drummers for this. One of which is Barry Kirsch from Shinedown. We'll talk about that as well. But this is such a, I mean, such a cool album. You really need to get your hands on it. It's called Crash, Burn, Rebirth. Came out last year. Not exaggerating, it's another one of those all-killer, no-filler type albums where you just want to check this thing out straight through. Songs like Spatial Survival, Say Goodbye, What Have I Done, Take Me Home is probably my favorite track on here. We talk about that as well. And Take It All, the current single, is fantastic. This whole album is great. You need to jump into it and the fact that they already have two two more albums in the works. You know, that whole thing kind of reminds me of Revolution Saints. Because I talked to Dean Castronovo not that long ago, a few months ago. And it's the same kind of thing. Like, he started this band in the vein of Journey. And he handled, you know, drums and vocals. And then knocked out an album and then quickly went and recorded a couple more. And he's done that twice now. Like, he's on the fourth album, but he's already got five and six recorded, what we talked about. But the difference with that one is after, I believe it was after the third album, they kind of, they've kind of shifted it to give it its own uniqueness away from what it originally was with that Journey-inspired thing. But, you know, I regress because we're talking about Canel and Thin Lizzy and all that great stuff. So this is really well done. It really straddles that line to where you can tell it's got the influence of Thin Lizzy in the sound of the music, in the style of the writing when it comes to lyrical content the way it's a storytelling type thing. It's great stuff. You know, Chris was part of Cold Sweat, who has, you know, reformed and done stuff with the Monsters of Rock Cruise and Monsters on the Mountain. And like he mentions in here, they're looking to do some more of those as well. And Saigon Kick is what he's most well known for. And that's another thing we go into great detail about, how he joined the band right whenever... He joined them after they had recorded their second album, The Lizard. And it was right when the band was taken off in the mainstream because Love is on the Way became a single right when he joined and then it blew up into the huge hit that it was. And it was all kind of this whirlwind thing. And within a year, they're recording Water, the third album, or excuse me, yeah, the third album. That's another thing. These albums that, that Chris was a part of with Saigon Kick, they came out in the mid 90s get overlooked by, you know, the mainstream audience or mainly people that were into 
rocked during that time period. They put out this album called Water, which is something we talked about because I just released the 30th anniversary vinyl this year. And then after that, they had Devil in the Details and Bastards. And I mean, and they reformed since then a couple times. I had the opportunity to finally get to see Saigon Kick in 2017. And I know that there's, I assume when they got back together, it was, you know, he kind of talks about it a little bit, but not in great detail. You know, they're, you know, I'm sure it was a working relationship because since then there's been stuff on social media between Matt, the vocalist of Saigon Kick, and Jason, the guitarist of Saigon Kick, kind of going back and forth as they have many times throughout the years. But in more recent memory, I saw something actually, I believe it was early this year or late last year from Matt. So I don't, you know, I mean, that may or may not be something we get to see in the future, but, you know, as a fan, I hope that it happens. Saigon Kick's one of those bands that, when you think of it, most people, when they think of them, they think of them squarely planted in that glam rock, hair metal era of music. What's funny is that, you know, their biggest hit, Love Is On The Way, and the song All I Want, which came out after that, which is a, you know, a decent radio hit. Those songs came out in 1992, whenever all this stuff was like, all the stuff from the era of hair metal and glam metal and 80s rock, whatever you want to call it, was starting to, was fading out because most of those bands didn't really have hits after like 91, but a few bands still were able to have success. And, you know, I'm saying this because Saigon Kick wasn't really one of those bands. They were just there at the same time period. And sure, Love is on the Way and All I Want fit greatly in with all that stuff, you know, because they're great ballads. But when you listen to their, these the songs that this band was putting out on those first two albums, like Hostile Youth and everything, you know, it'd be more akin to maybe heavier Skid Row, you know, after like their second album on, but not really in the same sense that you think of like a Poison or Danger Danger Warrant, even Motley Crue, that kind of stuff. And then especially once they got to water and it got a little bit, you know, more, I don't know if the experimental is the right word or whatever, a little bit more stuff going on, eclectic, I guess is the right word. So this is a band that's kind of like, I always compared Saigon Kick and Extreme because they are both bands that are notable, you know, known by the majority of people that aren't diehard fans, known by a huge hit. There's acoustic based, an acoustic based love song, huge hit, but the rest of their stuff is, you know, hard rock borderline heavy metal, and heavier than most of the bands of that time period. Not to knock on anything of that time period, I just always thought it was wild. It's kind of another thing I talked about with Jason on a few episodes ago about Ugly Kid Joe, because the same exact thing as well. And they came out and were having hits around the same time that Saigon Kick was as well. And they're another band that musically, their music style is nothing like that, even though they always get thrown in it. Which is just kind of funny, it's not really here or there, because... They came out and had hits, so we got to, you know, we got to hear them. We know who they are, and that's the most important thing. Another thing that Chris has been doing for quite a while is McLernan Multimedia, where he basically brings music or makes music or sources music, I guess, for television shows and commercials and projects like that. He's been doing that for quite a while. We go in a little bit on that, touch on that as well when we're talking about his production and stuff, but... You know, I really dug this interview because, you know, we kind of talked 
all over the place. You know, we talk about his career, about his early days and about some of the behind the scenes stuff, like the stuff he's doing with production and with McLernan Multimedia and everything else going on. So with all that being said, let's just jump into this and hear what Chris has to say. Here's Chris McLernan of Canel, Saigon Kick, and Cold Sweat. since it's kind of a specific style um not not like mimicry not like you know i'm trying to do like lenny kravitz like create a certain sound from a certain era but it's a certain level of ingredients and style that um i think people haven't heard much in america you know they just know because I, I want it to be like thin lizzy and everyone knows th like two songs from thin lizzy or the other one they think is a metallica song um so it's cool it's gotten um, some really great response, um, and uh, I'm just really happy with how um, it came out because the, the goal was, okay, if I was going to make a record and give it to Thin Lizzy, I wanted it to sound like this, but modern, you know, and that's how it's coming off, so I'm totally pleased. I mean, with this being, like you said, Thin Lizzy inspired, was that the idea going into writing, or is this just kind of what happened when you and Colin got together, or, so the whole concept was always inspired yeah, by Thin it, Lizzy? Okay. It was in place, yep. Um, because like, again, you know, we're two Americans. So we found each other, um, just through the local scene here in Charleston, South Carolina. And he, um, we just got to talking about it and I was, it wasn't like he was, the, I could figure out right away. He was not just a casual fan. He knew the catalog. I was like, cool. And it just, it took off from there. Easy come, easy go was the first one written. And it was kind of like, wow, this, this fits that style, you know? And, uh, so he's like, well, why don't we try doing some more? So here we are. And we're working on number two. We just got the last drum tracks for that one accomplished. Um, so we're going to start uh, kind of polishing that one up and um, getting it ready. And then number three is about halfway written. Oh, wow. So blame this sort of production on, on the pandemic, you know, <laughs> or output, I should say. So was two, like, like you said, was that already written at the same time as one and you're just now recording it and finishing it up? Yeah. Or? Yeah, yeah. Okay. well, because I think once, at least for me as a songwriter, once you get started, you kind of want to keep going yeah. because you're on, a, you're on a roll and it's like, oh, you know, that's good. And this is good. And that's good. And this is good. And then as you take it, let's say two weeks off, all of a sudden it's like, where were we? You know, um, <laughs> what riff, what, whatever, you know, um, I mean, you have to be careful. I think when you're writing a glut that you don't repeat yourself. Um, so there's that, but if there's two songs that are kind of similar and there was one or two, I was like, well, let's not put them on the same record. Yeah. Break them up. Like how hard is that to balance? I want this to sound inspired by Thin Lizzy, but also sound modern and like, like Chris as well. I mean, your right. voice obviously is different than Phil's, right. but like intentionally, yeah. There was no way I was going to try and um, like here. Let me see if I can wing it and you know make me sound like him. No, <laughs> I fail horribly. Um, so it was I don't know. Parts of it were difficult because we like do a lead section and we get a little ornate. And we're thinking, no, that sounds too shreddy, Dragon Forcey, you know, um, who I love, but it's like, but it doesn't fit, you know, it, it's got to fit this particular genre. So you want to keep the guitar stuff a little more pentatonic, bluesy, um, really pay attention to how hooky the twin guitar parts are. 
because they're they're basically their own theme. Um, and then the, the base has to be catchy too. So you you have these ingredients going in and you know you want to hit these marks and you just make sure you do. And if, it, if it's too much, it's easy to tell if it's too much because you go, okay, this is hard to remember. You know, if yeah. it's good and it's simple, you're like, it's right in. You got it. You said you've already got three albums worth of music written. Does it get hard to, well, you mentioned already are, you had something that's kind of repetitive, but is it hard to not be repetitive since you're kind of in a box on what you're trying to sound like? Or, um, I, I, I thought about that a bunch, a bunch of times, like you know. Um, but I think with the with the template as it is, if you keep remembering it as a song, as a, as opposed to a collection of riffs, um, the the song itself will break up the riff and make it less repetitive. But I mean, I purposely try and write in different keys, so it's not like okay. If you listen to Van Halen one, side one is pretty much in the key of A, <laughs> um, and uh, what there's another. I think side two is in the key of E, pretty much, <laughs> except for Good Little Dreamer. Um, so I, I try to avoid that as well because those open string riffs are, you know, tempting on a guitar. Okay, they sound great, but then it starts sounding the same. And especially if you walk into this stuff and you know immediately the songs start out with a harmony, you've got to make them. You you consciously have to try and make them different for each one. But I guess it'd be like having a burger place, you know. It, well, it's just it's still a burger, but this one has, you know, Monterey Jack on it. You know, oh, right. so different. Oh, very nice. Well done. <laughs> right. Well, a couple of my favorite tracks on this album of "What Have I Done" and "Take Me Alive" or "Take Me Home." Sorry, "Take Me Home." <laughs> Who is that that's singing, co-singing with your vocals on "Take Me Home"? "Take Me Home." That is uh, Emily Richards. She's a singer here in a band. She was in a couple bands here, uh, and um, they worked with Rick Beato. Um, but she's she was Colin singer, um, okay, in a couple of bands. So I was like, you know, I don't want it to sound like I'm talking to myself here, you know, because I, I flipped the tables, you know, it's always the you know, especially in Thin Lizzy, it's the guy who you know is the, the big tough dude coming into the bar and picking up the chick. Like, let's flip it around, let's get this noob in the bar who does not know what's going on. And you know, and the, the woman at the end of the bar has got a little more experience, like, okay, baby, you're coming with me. But I thought if I sang both parts, it's gonna be like, what am I gonna imitate myself like Monty Python or something? Oh, yeah, come on, you know. No, that won't work. So Colin goes, hey, man, how about Emily? He's like, bingo, done, got it. <laughs> but what I like about the, the fact that you just named those two songs, you're naming different, everyone names different songs that they like, which I think is good for the, uh, like a little market research, you know, and everyone's not going, I only like, take it all, right? So you named two different ones than, than the, um, the last two people I talked to, which is awesome. I love that. Yeah, that's great to hear. I mean, because I mean, the album to me is cohesive straight through. It's one of those you don't really want to skip any tracks. And it actually, I felt like it got stronger as it went. Like if it was a record side, side B to me almost felt stronger. And even like your single you're promoting now is the final track, which is kind of odd, you know, usually it's yeah, yeah. like not the final track on an album. Right. Which I thought right, was cool right. as well. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Thanks. Yeah. And, and I did, uh, that's, that's kind of those, I do things sometimes to amuse myself too, because the, <laughs> the, uh, the album opens with a gong and ends with a gong. <laughs> yeah. I was I say, you know, who's going to pick this up? But, uh, but yeah, I, my favorite um, albums are the ones that don't have a filler track. So, right. I mean, Colin, Colin and I really worked on it. Like, um, What Have I Done had a completely different chorus. I was like, this is not killing me. And, he, and he's like, no, it's good, man. So I'm like, it's not there yet. So, and I, so I took it off, uh, just, you know, muted the vocal, kept everything else, muted the vocal, just literally drove around in the car. For, you know, it was in the car for, you know, the next two or three days and just put it in when I'm driving and go, yeah, no, no. And all of a sudden I hit with what have I done? I was like, got it. There it is. So once you get that hook, 
you're, you know, the rest of the fish comes onto the boat. Because with that song, and a lot of them actually, since these are stories, and Phil was so good at you know weaving that sort of thing, I would get all the verses and the bridges and not have a chorus because you have something you have to have something to come back to if you're telling a story in a song. You know, there's the chorus, the refrain. And I had, I had nine songs with no choruses. I was like, oh my God, I got to think of something here. You know, okay, these people are talking about going to World War One and coming home and there's, you know, the, the woman is feeling this, and the man's feeling that. Where's the commonality? And I'm just going, oh. And finally, after one, after another, it's like, dink, okay, that one showed up. And then that one showed up. So a little bit of patience got me through. Random side note, like what's your favorite Thin Lizzy song overall? Or do you, can you name one? Yeah, good point. Can I name one? <laughs> um, I think they have, like, when, when I was, when I, well, it's still in, but when, in Saigon Kick, we had categories for songs. We'd have the heavy one, the quirky one, the, the love song, the, uh, the vibey one, you know, we'd have all these, and then we'd write a bunch in that, um, in that temp, well, I guess in those recipe boxes, and then you, you just pull the ones you liked. So, like with Lizzie, I love some of the fast ones like Massacre or, um, uh, waiting for an alibi or some of the bluesy ones like um it's only money and still in love with you but the live version um black rose is just it's like it's almost like prog there's so much crap going on in that one and then there's the really simple stuff like with love or um sarah or uh borderline you know so for me it's categories i, I mean there's somebody just gonna go oh what's that one but you know every every band has a lot of couple of those <laughs> Well, you you self-produced this as well. I'm I'm guessing with your all your work in music with television that you've had production experience, or is this the first time you've done no, this? because with TV you had to come up with something quick, and um, it, they were typical just you know champagne taste and beer budgets. You know, well we needed to sound like you know let's say for now because she's having a huge uh, a moment is Taylor Swift, and you're like, do you realize that's like a million dollars in recording and like a hundred thousand and just mastering, but you want this by Thursday, you know? <laughs> okay. And you just, you just learn fast. So that was a huge, huge advantage coming into this because you have to pick things apart. Um, and uh, with TV, there's two, two kind of endings you have, which is the, the sustain and the, the, uh, just the, the boom, the drop that, you know, so you have to write the song and make sure they have those parts in them. So then you th start thinking, okay, um, let's like, let's take uh, what have I done? So, so many of those stops and starts and dr dramatic points are all based on what, what I learned from TV writing. Like, how do you build this up and then rip, pull the brake and then get them back in? So, um, so, so for me, the, the advantage of producing myself is I had all the time in the world this time, you know, which can be a disadvantage because you overthink, <laughs> but, um, it, but I, Colin's just a good, um, you know, a good, uh, a governor on the engine, just kind of like, okay, that, that's enough, dude, you know, pull it back. This one's okay. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Okay. Fine, fine. Fine. Well, I guess you kind of might've answered this a little but with your experience of having recorded a bunch of albums with a producer and then doing this on your own, do you have a preference or is it a little bit of both? Like having that outside voice, you know, compared to just like your own vision, a hundred percent, you know? Yeah. I think for me to make it successful, uh, and be happy about it. I'll get it to a certain point, and then I have friends who, who are you know, producers, um, uh, or uh, just I think like what would, what would a producer I work with say? You know, how would they tweak this and go? Hey, you're almost there. But I also I trust the the drummers I play with who all you know have a stellar CV and Colin just like what do you think of this man? You know, is it there yet? Is it not there yet? Um, 
and that's where that production of the you know let's grab the moment and make sure it's um it comes off as the listener hears it as opposed to isn't this awesome well yeah it's perfect but you've produced it to death you've just sucked all the life out of it so it's, it's that hard thing to to balance i think if it was 10 years ago i would i think benefit more from a producer and if you know if someone's out there and they're going oh you know i'd love to produce your record and they're going, well, i'm not going to turn them down you know <laughs> but but it's uh, the, the reaction i've gotten so far is is good so i'm pleased with that well you mentioned the drummers like as a as a bass player do you have to adapt your sound to all these different drummers or do you just kind of do your thing and it seems to work or how did that yeah, process yeah. go? yeah i just so i sent um I think I said, what have I done to Barry and um, uh, like spatial survival to Rick? So two, I mean, they're friends and they know each other very well, but two very different drummers. But I didn't change much at all. But when they send stuff back, I'll get ideas based on what they played. So I think that kind of keeps okay. it, um, keeps you know, the road a little more open as opposed to just, oh God, you know, I've got to really twist and turn this stuff to make it fit to, fit to this guy. You know, but but I don't have to. But I also chose drummers and luckily you know they were willing to do it um based on how they played and their conception and uh, their kind of their library of the styles like what mark danzeisen who played on um the first tune um what might have been i just said hey man he's got a big band background along jazz but a bunch of rock he played with you know little caesar and river dogs and all that so he, he knows what he's doing but i was like think 70s think lots of tom toms but think like kind of jazzy and r&b ish and he goes got it <laughs> and I was like, okay and i sent it over to him and he, and he did he indeed had it i was like wow man nice work i didn't have to do anything where did the idea come from to have several drummers as opposed to just bringing in one person um availability oh okay <laughs> i mean because these guys rick's in florida barry's in florida mark's in la and then eric rickard who also played on is here in charleston um so R eric played on rickard played on say goodbye so we, i was like well it, which is one of the last ones written. I was like, what do we do here? And, and, but I was like, you know, he'd be perfect for it. You know, so let's throw it at him. And sure enough, he played through it once. I was like, yep, you are boom done. So it's, it's more of a proximity thing. And in time, um, like, cause Barry had to get out and tour. Mark had some obligations. So it's not like, a, can you sit down and do all nine of these at once? No, I can do two. Cool. Do those two and send them to me. Then we go from there. Well, speaking of Barry, his bandmate, mix this thing for you like how did like what did eric bring to this process to like you know make it what it is uh he brought a lot to it um mostly for me since i know him so well he would just he just say hey i'm working on the mix i was like oh yeah we are uh so i get in the car and race out there and he'd go okay check this out you're doing this here and you want this to build up here so i'm doing this i was like ah okay i wouldn't have thought of that um, but you know, then again, I, it's not like I have this, the, <laughs> the track record he does, but, um, his ability to me to make what, um, what we call like changing the scene. So when the, when the song goes from this part to this part, there should be something about a to B that makes B different than a, so it makes you, Oh, oh what was that? You know, it could be a guitar part. It could be like Emily singing on take me home. There's something that makes you go, wait a minute. You know, is that sleigh bells, you know, which they, they're on there. Because he said, uh, and his famous quote was what we're doing. He goes, um, now don't get mad at me. Like, what do, I, what do you mean? What do I get mad at? He goes, okay, I sang on this part. I was like, great, sounds great. You know, what, what the hell are you thinking, dude? Or I put a tambourine <laughs> here. Or I put it, oh, oh, sure, why not? And it always did that same thing. Just pushed it just a, mm, a little more. You know, and then you, you don't keep piling on. 
but you do you know, bring things in and out and, and like like lighting in a movie it's like oh it's dark what am i paying attention to oh oh my god they, uh, the missile went off and now it's all bright you have to to balance it so that's what he's really good at and then there's a lot of guitar work going on and and he knows how to do that kind of multi-level instrumentation and uh, the cool part was he was able to take a lot of the guitars out because i just would pile on stuff i'm like woohoo you know let's keep going add another part and he's like okay those are cool but if you pull it back to this it's cooler and i was well he's right so i wouldn't have done that i would have just thrown the kitchen sink at it because <laughs> you know why not right. you, know? you got all the garlic use it right <laughs> well i mean speaking of playing guitar was is, was bass your first instrument or did you start with guitar and then move to bass at some point or yep started with guitar okay. fourth grade catholic school the nun saw us had a strum so i was like okay this is not really what i thought i was in for <laughs> uh and gave it up till about age 13 or 14 and um uh saw the beatles hard day's night movie i was like hold on that looks fun no one told me about that in catholic school of course <laughs> and then um there's a lot of girls here and they seem to be having fun too hmm Let's try this again. Um, so I bought a Beatles songbook and had a guitar that I had laying around fixed because uh, I got birthday money, of course, you know, um, and it was too young to go to Vegas. Um, so uh, so I just started strumming, 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 and then met other guys and started playing in bands, but it was all guitar. And then I moved to Los Angeles as a guitar player. Um, but uh, at that point, I'm competing with the likes of like Paul Gilbert and Joey Tafoya and all. Like Slash had not come along and killed off the pointy head of guitars yet, you know? <laughs> uh, so everyone's still going skiddly, boodly, boodly, you know, or we called it totally, totally, yeah, playing totally, totally, yeah. And um, <laughs> I, I could do it, but it just wasn't me. I was more the, like the, the like the slash player, but I was like, whatever. I, this is just going to be too much competition. So I played bass on all my demos. And our drummer in Cold Sweat, Anthony White, said, dude, these, you know, and these are the band, we, there's another band we were in. He goes, dude, try bass. Just, you know, there's an opening in this band, try bass, and uh, it'll, it'll, trust me, man, I know you want to be a guitar player and you're good at it, but you can sing and we need a bass player. All right, whatever, dude. So he, he was right. All of a sudden, I couldn't, I, I was just getting calls left and right. Like, whereas before, be like, you really have to go, like I said, go up against the guys who are just killers. And it's like golfers, you know, all the 10 guys on the leaderboard are like a stroke away from each other. Right. Yeah, that was, that's what it was all the time. And I'm like, as a guitar player, I was like, good God. But bass, it stopped. And I think, because at that point, I was still kind of learning how to be good at it, but I could sing. And that really set me apart. And that's how I got, you know, a couple of gigs. I walked in and just sang. And I go, oh, well, because I can sing like Michael Anthony, you know, in that concept. And they all wanted that. No one would sing. Okay. I mean, I could have been playing the bass upside down. I think they wouldn't have cared, you know singing did that come from catholic school or like where did that start for you oh god yeah um <laughs> yeah. my earliest memory is actually singing a beatles song jumping up and down on a bed with uh, my godmother holding my hand so um uh and so i i always sang always sang uh it's only and this is actually where eric comes in again um he's like you dude you gotta start singing. Like, he's a backup singer as well you know so we have that same mentality you know be loud and be on pitch and be have a strong strong voice but you know he's done his own solo work as well where he's sung and the mentality of trying to sing like a singer as opposed to a vocalist, like you're leading the song now, it's a different mentality. And I had to learn that because he, he'd send me back. And he goes, dude, again, don't get mad at me, but sing this again, would you? Or just sing this verse. It doesn't have the conviction. And, and I'd be like, well, what am I missing? He's just like, 
try singing it and like really over enunciating all the words. And I was like, okay, so I did that. Like, like almost comically speaking, like you go, take it all, you know, like that. And I listen back and I go, it doesn't sound silly. It sounds perfect. And I like, <laughs> I never would have thought of that. So I went back and just started thinking, okay, I got to rethink these vocals. Like that doesn't, if I change it, will that give it the punch I'm looking at? You know, cause you're always so point paranoid about your own voice. You know, I mean, this is what you do. So you're used to hearing your voice. But as you know, most people are like, oh, that's what I sound like. Yeah, well, start singing. And then you really get paranoid about that's what I sound like. <laughs> so, so, I mean, and then I had, you know, Brent Smith came in at one point when, when Eric was mixing um, what might have been. And I didn't know they'd been listening to it, right? Because they're in there writing for um, Planet Zero. And um, <laughs> Eric goes, hey, man, I played it for Brent last night. I was like, <laughs> you're kidding me. Yeah, no, man, it was cool. I'm just going, oh, because I'm thinking, you know, this is a guy who's done a few things as a vocalist. Yeah. Like, oh, <laughs> man, really? And because I'm just, and Brent is also the type of guy who goes, if he likes it, he likes it, loves it, tells you. Doesn't like it, well, man, I don't get it. You do what you do, but mm -mm, that's not for me. And it's it's very blunt, but it's genuine. It's not like, dude, that's fucking terrible. No, you don't get that. You just get, mm, no, not for me. Okay, so let's go eat. Um, so, as we're sitting there and I'm getting over the horror that you know, he played it for him um, because at some point you're always that 14 year old guy who walks in the room and wants to play the song with your friends and you don't know if you're good enough. It doesn't change. They just, every, all your friends just get better. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and you hope you catch up. So um, we're sitting there doing it and I'm kind of getting over it. And I said, well, what, you know, what are you thinking? I said, he loved it. It was great. He thought it was fantastic. He said, it sounded like Thin Lizzy meets Ghost. I was like, all right, cool. Like, you know, make that. And Brent, being Brent, you know, just all of a sudden piles into the room. Hey, man, how's everyone doing? Blah, blah, blah. And I said, oh, just, you know, he goes, oh, you listen to, you know, the tune again? And, and Eric goes, yeah, I'll be done in a bit here because they were going to work on something. He goes, he looks at me, he goes, man, I love this. Sounds great. Love your voice. It's, he's like, it's really cool. It's very different. And I'm just going, wow. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. And now that makes it, to me, that makes me go, all right, I've got a good start here. I can push forward as opposed to, hey, hey, Grammy coming my way for best vocal performance. You know, no. <laughs> It's just, hey, I'm golfing. Hey, that was a good swing. You should keep do that again. Oh, all right, cool. Well, I will. <laughs> so that was really helpful to have those two push me because, again, I'm coming off of all my gigs where I was the primary backup vocalist, and which is important. Yeah. But, you know, like in Van Halen, you got Michael Anthony. But until recently, you didn't really hear him singing lead. You know, and he sings great lead. But, you know, that's it's a different animal. You know, it's like um, going between, I'm sure, being a catcher in baseball and being when they used to put him out on first base. You know, different ballgame. Really is. You know, having to change your, your approach a little bit when you're doing lead vocals, do you think that's going to alter the way you sing backup vocals in the future? Or is it going to, I mean, you've been doing that for so long, it's probably second nature, but <laughs> doing this now, do you think it's going to be something you have to stop and think about <laughs> at all? I that's a great question, man, because Colt Sweat has been talking about doing some more of the Monsters of uh, Rock cruises and the Muscle and the Mountain stuff. And so I'll, I'll know as soon as we get into rehearsals, if they're like, hey, hey, you want to tone it down? You know, you want to <laughs> sing with us as opposed to hogging the spotlight, mister? Sorry, sorry, sorry. I didn't mean to. Sorry. <laughs> so, and like I said, you know, they'll be honest with me. They'll, they'll go, mm -hmm. you want to back that off? Um, the other thing is I'm known as... Uh, just being a really loud vo vocalist. Oh, I mean, you'd have like, here's the three levels in, uh, and I'm down here. It never fails. I sound like I go, God, you're just, I'm, I've got you with, you know, two thirds of the other guys. I guess. Like, yeah, so, sorry, sorry, I know. So, so I've got two things to watch then. I've got to worry about being loud 
um, and then trying to sing like a lead singer. So, but I think to your point, I think you're right. It's so in there. I know the parts. I rehearse those parts. It's going to be pretty quick to just, you know, drop it back in. Right. I hope we're going to find out. <laughs> right. Talking about Saigon Kick for a second. You guys released uh, Water on Vinyl recently. You know, did. 30, yeah, thirty year anniversary. I mean, is that weird to think about? I mean, I know you've obviously been doing this way longer than that with cold sweat and everything, but like just looking back now, is that just kind of I don't know oh, what yeah. the right word is just kind of odd weird. to think it's no, been that long. It. Yeah. No, you got it we're right. It's weird. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it um but it's a good weird because uh for two reasons. <laughs> One, you realize, wow, that's a pretty good record. Because you, you know, now it's just a slice of what you've done. You know, it's not it doesn't define it's it's in your definition kind of thing. Um, like I was talking to somebody about cold sweat. I was like, wow, that was only like 18 months out of my life. You know? So if you're a parent, for example, you just go, that's nothing, but it seemed like so much of your existence at that point. So in Saigon, we got the uh, offer to do uh, that reissue, Well, we did the first two, but I you know, wasn't really on those, but I helped get them, getting them together and that sort of stuff. And, and they were really well received. So the, the, the label real gone said, you know what? We'd like to do water. And we have, we have no artwork for that. Cause it's all CD. It was never on vinyl. So I'm like, well, this is a gamble. You know, how's it going to go? And they just, they killed it. I mean, all the artwork is it was so cool. It looks like it was supposed to be a record from that time. They really did a great job and it sounds great. So, so for the first time I put it on and it was putting, you know, the needle in the groove on, on that record. I was like, wow, this is, this is weird. You know, I, it's like um, finding a plane, you know, out in the desert and be able to pick it up and fly it again, you know? Um, and um I was, it, it brought so much about that time back too, where we were, you know, Matt had left in the middle of the recording and we're like, we got to finish this thing somehow, but, but you know, how, and that was the mindset like, come on, man, we got to get it done. We can do it. We can do it. And listening back I go, wow, okay. Yeah. I hear, I hear us kind of going, I got your back. I got your back. We got it. You know, let's get through this thing. Cause a lot of that material had not been written at the time. We went into the studio with uh, like two songs, three songs. So that was kind of, interesting you know, okay we've got to write this from the ground up then of course the label here is we don't have a singer and they're ready to pull the plug in the middle of the sessions so it's, it, i didn't think of these things until um i put the record on so it was it was an interesting trip down memory lane but the, again the cool part about it was all the people who bought it were just over the moon it sounds great and it looks great so like, okay cool part of your legacy is preserved and not uh, rotting on the uh, on the vine right what what was that process like? Like you said, it was like less than two years or a year and a half from when you joined the band to when Matt left and you guys were recording this. Like oh, at that point, band? it was it was it was it was twelve months. I it was okay. literally I'd been in the band a year. You know, we, I joined um, right as the lizard was hitting the, hitting the stores, and um, they were they were editing the video for Love's on the Way. So uh, that's when I came in. I, I that's why I'm not in the video. If I'd been a week earlier. Uh, <laughs> you know, but, um, <laughs> So we, we hit the road and we, we didn't come home till the next May and went literally right into the studio. We got home, packed our stuff, sent it over with Rocket Cargo and boom, we're in Stockholm recording. It was that quick. So were you, I mean, were you thinking like with this band you joined and here a year later, it's now a three piece and it's a totally different thing in a way, even though, you know, Jason's vocals sound similar at, at times, but it's like, right. what was that? I mean, did you feel like this is something that can move forward or how were you feeling at that moment? Uh, yes, but there was also a lot of, you know, holy crap, you know, we, we've got a, we, we've got our own, someone handed us a rope, we pull ourselves out of here, here, we're going to hang ourselves. <laughs> right. Um, 
because I knew that we could play for sure. I knew we could write. I could sing. So you know, I just worked on my Matt imitation, frankly, and and learned all his parts. Um, and we got a guitar player named Pete Dombrowski, and he he filled in on uh, on the water tour, and then he did Devil with us. Uh, and Pete can sing a little bit, so that was also helpful. Um, but yeah, my first thought was, well, we're clearly getting more eclectic, which is fine with me, because the first two were very focused style-wise. There's a couple of jumps here and there, um, like Chanel or My Life. You know, not many records of that era have a kazoo on them. Right. <laughs> right. So, but you know, uh, Water has a jazz muted trumpet. You know, it's got a choir, it's got strings, and I'm going, this sure fine with me, um, but. Things like Atlantic, they like a record company likes to have a, a recipe. Here's what we have. We wanted to sell you as this, so we had to kind of fight back up. That's just not what we're doing now, you know. Just you know, you want to follow us here, please. Um, and it kind of went over, um, but it was definitely we got to push through this. We just got to keep going and just push it and push it and push it. And Atlantic, uh, at the time, I think what happened was Michael Douglas, who was the president of Third Stone, which is a subsidiary we were on, um, packed it in. And I think Atlantic just went, eh, and left us to drift in the United States, whereas the rest of the world, we did great. And Doug Morris, who was the president of Atlantic at that time, picked all of the singles. He's like, you guys have us hit with this and this and this. And they didn't back us in the States, so yeah, down it went. But those were the songs that were hits all around the rest of the world. So we, wow. we had something. I think, though, we were just way too far ahead of our time. Which, I, which doesn't make it sound like, you know, we're, we're from another planet and we foresaw the musical future and it is this. No. Um, but, we, you know, I'll meet people now who are fans and bought it at the time. You know, that's kind of the cool thing of this business. Um, and they'll just come up to you and say, hey, man. Uh, and they're in, you know, band X or Y or Z, you know, where you're just like, oh, you know, this is actually you know, hmm, interesting. You know, really, you, you had the record and you listen. Oh, because water was just this and devil was just that. And it was so blah, blah. Just going, wow, I guess we did okay. Then we pulled it out because that's a panic situation, man. Someone, anybody leaves in the middle of a record, <laughs> woo, you know, but we did it, we got it. Was that whole time period like since it was pretty short, was that like a whirlwind for you? Because especially joining a band like right when a hit single's taken off, I mean, yeah. not many people really ever have that experience, you know, just coming in right whenever something's blowing up, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and um, yeah, oh, I can I got congratulated on my business sense many times. Dude, <laughs> you did it. You're just taking off. I'm like, I joined because it was my favorite band. I love the band. You know, the, I knew at that point in my, in my career, the label could tell you, OK, here's the single. We're going to push it. And that doesn't mean A, they're going to do it or B, it's going to get um, any traction. So, yeah, it was crazy to go from because um, I was out of cold sweat at that point and I was in cold gin. And that's how you know, we were paying our bills, which is fun. And. But I mean, my wife and I are living in this, you know, shoebox in a Van Nuys drug neighborhood, and we're just like, how am I going to get out of this? You know, and within two months of asking myself that question, it was out on the road. It's like a kick, and we were watching the single go. You know, it's like wow. It's it's. I mean, only in showbiz, man, or or maybe athletics, you know, where or movies where you just you know do this and then you're off just because of timing or fashion, whatever. I mean, I'm guessing that doesn't happen to bankers or lawyers much, you know, so. We're unique in that way. I mean, were you guys, I mean, maybe not, because you talked about, you know, the eclectic sounds on water and even yeah. a few of the songs in the first couple albums, but the first couple albums outside of the ballads really didn't sound anything like that time period to me. You yeah, know, I agree. Like glam metal and hair metal and all that shit that it always gets lumped in with. Did that kind of bug you guys or did you not care just because, you know, it's out there and people can hear it, you know? 
I, well, yeah, you're always glad people can hear it, right? Yeah. You're just you're just glad to be you know out of the club scene and like okay, now now the real competition starts. But yeah, I think people, yeah, we still get called a hair band, and oh, yeah. you guys are a hair band. I'm like, oh yeah, go look at Soundgarden in the same year, you know, right? You know, Chris Cornell has hair to his friggin' waist. You know, what are you guys talking about? Oh, we were hair farmers. We all were, right? You know, if you go to 1969, you have you know Crosby, Stills, Nash Young, and all that, but you also have Alice Cooper. You know, they're pretty different, <laughs> and I think that's what that's what it was a Saigon Kick. We were so. Jason was smart enough or more um, astute as a songwriter to be able to write catchy songs, but you had these, you know, heavy riffs. I, I always said we were like Metallica meets the Beatles, you know, um, because A, those two could sing, then I came in, so we had three people singing. Um, and um, at the time, now now everyone gets it. They're like, okay, we were our own thing in that time. But you're like, oh, you guys, you know, you'll see it on eBay. Hairband, Saigon Kick, Warrant, your Faster Pussy Guys. Like, no, 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 no. But I mean, we all get along because we're all the same age from the same era, but everyone in those bands goes, no, we're not like you guys and you guys aren't like us. But and the fans like, we don't care. We just like what we like. Okay. Yeah. Which is true. That's the way it should be. But yeah, labels, 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 man. They just, they, the, the hair band one cracks me up though. Yeah. Saigon Kick was not a hair band. We had hair. Yeah. Right. We were not, you know, putting the Aquanet in and taking the washcloth and, you know, getting it all fuzzy and out. And no, no. There was a just we, we were more hair farmers, I think, than anything else. <laughs> right. Yeah. You didn't hear Faster Pussycat playing a song like Peppermint Tribe or, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, exactly. right. Which is cool because, I mean, the guys in Faster loved us and, you know, we loved them. Yeah. But, but yeah. But oh, absolutely, man. We did a gig with Warren um, in Chicago and they were on the Doggy Dog record, which I thought was a great record. But it was just, yeah. you know, just wrong place, wrong time. It's it's still good. Oh, but yeah. I knew those guys from the L.A. clubs. So we see them and they're just like, dude, are you going to play this one or play that one? I'm just going, you know, if your basic fan who goes, no, man, we we listen to only Saigon Kick and we don't listen to Warren or we listen to Warren and Saigon Kick's too heavy or weird. And meanwhile, I've got the two bands going, dude, you guys are awesome. I can't wait to hear Hostile, blah, blah, blah. And they're just going, yep, that's the way it should be, I guess. But <laughs> no, you're both, you're both hair farmers. They're glam and you're not, but you're not really because you're alternative, but you're not really alternative because you're Saigon Kick and we can't figure out. Right. <laughs> I admit that, you know, back then, you know, I was like 15 when Love is on the Way came out, you know, and I was really into like glam metal and stuff. I bought the album just because of that. Right. And then, but then I fell in love with it. And, you know, I never got the chance to see you guys in the 90s. And I finally got the chance in 2017 when you guys did that tour. Saw you guys in Dallas. So I was glad to finally get that opportunity oh, before it was too late. I assume it's too yeah. late now. I don't know. But <laughs> did you see the open? No, 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 no. You never know. You never yeah. know. But that tree show, did you see the opening band? I did, but I can't remember who it was. Or was it that band? Or was it two piece? I think it was. Yeah. And the guy had like a wig on and, and stuff. So it was like, are they, you know, are they messing with us or were they? But they played yeah. one step closer. Like we're oh, up in really? the dressing room and they played it and we all look at each other like, is that what I think it is? <laughs> yeah. And then, cause, so we met him afterwards. Like, oh man, we really love you guys. We love the water record, blah, blah. I was like, well, yeah, clearly you play. <laughs> I've, you know, never had that happen. That was fantastic. Right. That was a good show. But all Texas is always good for shows. So I loved, I met my wife in Texas. So, you know, uh -huh. I'm, I'm partial to Dallas. I mean, not to keep bringing that up because I'm sure you get asked it all the time. But I mean, do you think there's a chance ever in the future that we could see Saigon kick in or is that bridge burned between Matt and? I, no, I don't think it is. Um, it's uh, just because that's the way I am. Um, and uh, I didn't think the first one would happen. Right. At yeah. all. 
uh, when, when you would say maybe the wounds were fresher, you know, whatever, what, whatever prevented things from happening. So, and, and once, I think this is the, this is the recipe too. When, when bands reunite, they start off with, you know, a lot of teeth being bared and, you know, fists to cuffs being threatened and that sort of stuff. And then you start talking on the phone, you start mellowing out a little bit, and then you all agree on a dinner the night before the first rehearsal. And it's weird. And everyone's kind of polite, but there's just kind of this anxiety over the table that no one is really attacking or acknowledging, but everyone's being cool and been a little bit, mm -hmm, you don't know what to do really. Is something going to go crazy here? Is someone going to walk off? Is someone going to come over and say, oh, I always loved your song, you know, um, bathroom wall, you know, they're going to get the band wrong. You know, they're just like, <laughs> and that's happened. Oh, it's happened. Um, and then you go play the first song at rehearsal and it, um, everyone goes, okay, we're on, we got it. Let's do this. And so it wipes everything out of the way. So in, in my mind, it's always possible, you know, but that's, that's just me. This is the way I think. Well, side note, then what's the weirdest or most random song you could think of that someone's mentioned to you that they loved by you? <laughs> that wasn't you. I mean, <laughs> um, I would say, um, hmm, I would say it's off the devil details, probably, um, like, um, all around, because it's, you know, Second Kick always kind of skirted punk, but we never really went after it, after it. Like, what do you do is kind of punky, but it's got a lot of dynamics, which is not really very punky. Usually it's, you know, right out of the gate. Um, either that one or um, like Victoria, you know, because that's got, you know, kind of the piano going and the, um, the kind of swing feel. And because um, I'm always just assuming because we're a good live band, people want to hear the live stuff, the guitar songs, you know, because yeah. they're, they're great. So I'm always very pleased when someone says, you know what tune I really love? I love Sunshine, you know, or I love My Heart off of uh, Water because it's just a, a drum and a guitar and then car guitars go out and the vocals come back in and it's just, you know, the, me, th me, Phil and Jason just pounding on these giant floor toms. So those are the fun ones when people come and go, oh, you know, when I because as you know, you're going to expect Love's on the Way, you know, or uh, All I Want or, um, you know, something like that. Spanish Rain if we're, you know, over overseas or On and On if we're overseas. Like, okay, cool. I get that. But when they put one of the, the other ones, they're like, oh, cool. You listen to the rest of the record. Thank you. <laughs> well, speaking of records, you mentioned you've already got the second one almost done and the third one on the way to being written. Like, where do, do you have a time period on when you're going to do this? Do you think it's going to be 2024? Or? Uh, good question. Um, <laughs> because, uh, uh, hmm. here's why. I have another thing I'm finishing. It's a um, uh, an EP. I have a whole record, but Eric was like, you know what, man? Just release EPs for now. You can always release it as side A, and then side B is, you know, now you got the full record. Yeah. And it's a really kind of he heavy, like Dio era Sabbath kind of heavy. So very, you know, chunky on the wrist with songs. Again, very, you know, I, I've been told, like, you, you write the most, if, if the guys in Saigon all made solo records, yours would be the most like a Saigon record. It's like, well, yeah, because I'm the biggest fan of the band, you know. <laughs> right. it's in, um, and it's called Megaton, and it's just all really—it's super heavy. Then I've got—I've got another one. It's already out, and I'm just trying to figure out what to do with it. It's already posted on Bandcamp, um, but it's a punk record, um, all about because when we did the Canal record, and because Colin loves punk as much as I do, um, we I was like, God, I got all these other ideas, just 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 brewing in my head. So I was like, All right, let's do a punk record, no guitar solos, and the songs have to be two minutes or under. So there's 10 songs. It's 29 minutes long. 
Um, and it's all about my first couple of years moving to Los Angeles in 1985. And it's called Bronson Avenue. Um, uh, well, what is it called? Goodbye, Cruel World. So that's out there. And I okay. came up with the idea for a second one. So because punk songs, you can kind of like rip out quick, you know, because yeah. you get to the point. Because if you think too much on that, you're going to really ruin it. So there's that. And then um, then I have also I have an instrumental surf band, too. So I have four records out on that. So I've got to finish the fifth one. So, yeah, you know, make hay while the sun shines. Right. All right. <laughs> I mean, is any of this stuff you're doing live or are these all just studio projects? This is all studio projects, yeah. Because okay. getting like, if, even if we got Canal together, and we've thought about doing them locally here, you know, just to do it, you know, to have fun. Um, like, okay, well, Rickard would have to learn the whole fine record, the whole thing. That's cool. But then, what do I do for the lineup? Do I sing and play bass, or do I sing and play guitar? Right. Um, and it, we've gone back and forth about it. I'm partial. I think I should play bass because I think uh, since we have Pro Tools and all that stuff, I can send some of the session. And they can look at the guitar solo and get it exactly right. You know, they can learn it. Pretty guitar players are good like that. Um, but if the bass doesn't sound a certain way with the drums because of the style, I'll be doing this the whole night. You know, going, uh, you know, you know, that's not how it goes. You know, but, but it's a guitar solo and they kind of, you know, they vary from it. Okay, that was kind of cool. You know, but if you change the groove because you didn't feel like learning it, mm -mm. so I, that's why I'm leaning toward playing bass. Right on. All right, man. Well, I appreciate you taking the time with me today. I love the Canal record. I'm going to look look into all this other stuff you just mentioned, and I appreciate you taking the time. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, man. Thank you so much. It's always, uh, always a pleasure. There you go. Chris McLernan of Canal, Saigon Kick, and Cold Sweat. A huge thank you to Jody Best of Best Bet Promotions for her continued support of this podcast. And a massive thank you to Chris for taking that time out there to hit me up on Zoom and talk about all the stuff he's got going on. Something that hit me after the fact that I should have asked was, I wonder if Cold Sweat, the band, I'm sure someone's asked him this in a interview question in recent times because since he's promoting his band Canel, which is Thin Lizzy inspired, I'm wondering if the band Cold Sweat, if their name came from the Thin Lizzy song Cold Sweat. It probably did, but maybe not. Anyway, that's a question I guess for next time. All right, if this is your first time listening, I greatly appreciate it. Speaking of Thin Lizzy, Ricky Warwick has been on this podcast before. He is the current vocalist of Thin Lizzy. He is also the vocalist of Black Star Writers. When he was on this podcast, Damon Johnson was on it with him because he was in Black Star Writers at the time, and he is also technically still in Thin Lizzy, I believe. They haven't done anything live in quite a while since pre-pandemic. Damon Johnson has actually been on this podcast more than anybody at six times. Damon Johnson is now in Leonard Skinner. He took Gary Rossington's place even before Gary passed. And of course, he has Brother Kane. He was in Alice Cooper and all that great stuff as well. But that's another question that probably should ask what Chris's thoughts were on Black Star Writers. Being a huge Thin Lizzy fan, I would assume he digs some Black Star Writers. And then on the other side of this, bringing up glam bands after we talked about how Saigon Kick wasn't a band from that era. We've had a lot of those bands on here, so I'm going to talk about them because I know a lot of people that love Saigon Kick love those bands. So bands like that have been represented on here with members, Tesla, Frank Hannon's been on here several times, as well as Brian Wheat, Mark Kendall from Great White's been on here a couple times, Robin McCauley of McCauley Shanker Group 
and Black Swan has been on here several times. Reb Beach of Whitesnake and Winger. Tracy Guns and Phil Lewis of LA Guns. Phil Lewis was on here recently again, just a few months ago. Dean Castronovo of Journey. Members of Warrant, Firehouse, Trickster, Kicks, Lillian Axe, Vivian Campbell of Def Leppard and Dio, Dizzy Reed of Guns N' Roses, Gene Simmons of Kiss, Bruce Kulik, formerly of Kiss and currently of Grand Funk Railroad. And then we get heavy as well, Alex Skolnick of Testament, Dave Elfson, formerly of Megadeth, has been on here a couple times, James Lomenzo, currently of Megadeth, Chris Broderick, formerly of Megadeth, members of White's, uh, I already said White Snake, White Zombie, Prong, Typo Negative, Helmet, Motley Crue, Sons of Texas, Three Doors Down, Clutch, Courage and Conformity, Shinedown, Saliva, the list is massive, my friends. This is episode 381, so that means you've got 380 previous episodes you can check out. So please do that. BeatThemUnderground.com. You can listen right there, or you can listen pretty much anywhere podcasts are heard. Wherever you're listening right now, hit like, subscribe, whatever it is, so you don't miss future episodes. Speaking of future episodes, Peter Summit of Crashing Wayward is going to return to the podcast to talk about the band's brand new album. Their debut album just came out here not that long ago. Great stuff. We're going to be talking about that with him shortly. We've also got some other stuff in the works. But yeah, follow us on the socials so you don't miss any of that. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and everywhere else. I'm on other places like Threads and TikTok that I don't use, but we'll get there, folks. We eventually will. I think that wraps it up once again. So a huge thank you once again to Best Bet Promotions, DEB Concerts, Sunset Tattoo, and Chris McLernan. And until next time. Thunder Underground, y'all. Thunder Underground.